Welcome to our weekly podcast. We're in week two of a message series called Love Does. This series is all about encouraging and strengthening the marriages in our church. I said last week that it's easy for us to get so busy throughout the week that we forget about giving our marriages the kind of attention and care that they need. My prayer, my hope for this series is that it would remind all of us to slow down a little bit and to not allow the noise of this world to distract us from giving our marriages the kind of attention and care that God wants us to give. Over the next several weeks, we're going to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this will be a familiar passage to many of you, but I want to encourage you to read it with fresh eyes and to hear it with fresh ears. So if you would, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And this is what we read. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Often referred to as the great hymn of love, These words in 1 Corinthians 13, they can be found in Hallmark cards. Uh, They're written on art that we put in our homes, and we've all heard them read aloud at weddings. On the surface, this seems like a warm and fuzzy passage of Scripture, but as we focus in on the instruction that the Apostle Paul was giving uh, to the Christians in Corinth, we'll see that it's extremely challenging. Uh, You could say it's easy to read, but challenging to live out. 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between two chapters that address spiritual gifts in the church. Paul reminds believers that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but that we all belong to the same Lord. We've been given spiritual gifts to serve God and to help edify or build up the church, to strengthen the church. But it's God who decides which gift or gifts each person will have. These chapters also remind us that Although our gifts may differ in the church, every single follower of Jesus is important and is needed in the body of Christ. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verses 1 through 3, we learn that a person could be the most gifted person in the world, and a church could be the most gifted church around. But without love, those gifts are useless. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So friends, without love... Our gifts and our efforts mean nothing. Without love, our lives are like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. They're kind of annoying. (laughs) 
You know, we gain nothing. We actually add nothing of value to the kingdom of God without love. Now, this is a pretty bold statement from Paul. He's saying that love is more important than all the spiritual gifts that are exercised in the church. Our gifts mean very little. They produce very little without genuine love. In fact, love is what makes our gifts and our good works useful. In chapter 12, Paul gave the Christians in Corinth evidence of their lack of love. And then in chapter 14, he shows them how love works. But here in chapter 13, Paul defined what real love does by highlighting the qualities and the activities that should be top priority in our corporate life together as the church. While the context and intended application is for the corporate family of faith, I want to make the case that we can't love and serve one another well if we're not loving and serving our spouse and our families well first. Now, this is consistent with what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, especially when we look at the qualifications for leadership in the local church. When we look at the qualifications for, for leadership, it's not so much about how well we serve at church, but how well we love and serve our families in the home. I would say that if our mission field doesn't start in the home, we can't expect to love and serve people well in the church. So over the next few weeks, we're going to focus in on the characteristics of love that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 13. And as we do, um, we're going to look for opportunities to live them out in our own lives, and specifically in our marriages. With that being said, uh, these characteristics are supposed to be evident within the corporate body of Christ. So if you're not married, there's something here for you as well. It's important to mention that in the original Greek, all of these characteristics of love are in verbal form. This is important because Paul isn't just telling us what love is. He's describing what love does. You know, love isn't just a feeling or an emotion. The kind of love that Paul wrote about is meant to be lived out. It behaves in a certain way. So as we study 1 Corinthians 13, we need to be reminded Um, That God's word is for learning, absolutely, but it's also for living. In fact, I was reminded of these verses in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. James wrote um, that we shouldn't just listen to the word. We must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, God's blessing is found when we listen to the word, learn the word, and then live the word. Not only are all of these characteristics verbs, but they're also written in the present continuous tense. And this just means they're meant to be lived out continuously in our lives. So as we grow in our faith, These characteristics of love should be evident to the people around us. Now, if you read through 1 and 2 Corinthians, you'll notice that the Christians in Corinth, they really struggled with jealousy. They struggled with pride and selfishness. And 2,000 years later, in our own homes and here at OCC, we have to be honest and recognize that we struggle with the exact same things. So it's not only useful. But it's timely for us to spend a few weeks studying this incredible passage of Scripture. So with that being said, let's turn our attention to the first two characteristics of love. And we see this beginning in verse 4 where Paul says that love is patient and love is kind. So the first characteristic, if you're taking notes, is that love is patient. Love is patient. 
Now, the phrase, love is patient, um, refers to a holding intention in our minds before we give rise to passion. So another way to say this is that love has a long fuse. Love takes time before fuming and bursting into flames. Now, Paul isn't talking about being patient with difficult circumstances, although that's really important. Um, Here, he's talking about being patient with people. Now, if I were to do a survey about patience with our church family this week, I'm pretty sure there'd be a good number of people who would say, you know, I think I'm pretty patient when it comes to circumstances. You know, waiting in line at the grocery store, uh, waiting on test results to come back from the doctor, waiting for fall to arrive or whatever season is your favorite. But if I had to guess, I think there'd be a larger number of people, if they were honest, they would say, you know, I'm not very patient with people, at least not all the time. You know, people let us down. People annoy us. <laughs> they, they often rub us the wrong way. People can be a lot more challenging than circumstances. And when people let us down, when, when they annoy us, when they rub us the wrong way, we're not always as patient as we need to be. There were some major relationship issues um, in the Corinthian church. Christians were belittling other Christians because of their gifting. Uh, one person wanted to get rid of another person, and then There really was a lack of unity, largely because there was a lack of patience. So Paul is saying, love love doesn't burst out like that. Love is meant to have a slower fuse. In his book, The Love Dare, Stephen Kendrick wrote that love is built on two pillars that best define what it is. And those pillars are patience and kindness. All other characteristics of love are extensions of these two attributes. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says that we love because he first loved us. So when you and I know and experience the love of God, we grow and learn to love others in the way that God has called us to. Knowing and experiencing God's love will motivate us to grow in this important characteristic of love, and that is patience. Now, I don't think there's a better place to practice patience than in your marriage. Remember, 1 Corinthians seven twenty-eight from last week. That verse says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. So we're reminded, and we understand this because we're living it out, that marriage was never meant to be easy. Your marriage is going to face trials and troubles, but learning to be patient and choosing to be patient with your spouse, that's going to help you love your spouse well, even in the difficult seasons. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So patience is choosing to respond in a godly way to a negative situation. Patience is a reaction. You could say it's love in action. Patience is being slow to anger. It's having a longer fuse instead of a quick temper. Stephen Kendrick also wrote that patience brings an internal calm during an external storm. Now, I think that's an important truth. Choosing patience instead of impatience, that can really change the course of the ship. Now it's important to note that patience is also a fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, "But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control." Now it's been almost 2 years since we went through the book of Galatians, and I remember one thing I said about the fruit of the spirit is that they are godly characteristics that the Holy Spirit grows or produces in us. So as as you and I grow in Christ, we should also grow in patience. As we grow in Christ, we should look for opportunities to be 
patient. Now, no one likes to be around impatient people. Right? That's one of the most difficult things in this life, being around impatient people. I can't count on two hands the number of times I've overreacted in regrettable ways when I've been around impatient people. I think impatience is contagious, whether it's in the home, at work, or even at church. You know, you get a group of impatient people together, and you're going to see ungodly anger. And ungodly anger never makes things better. But patience can stop impatient people in their tracks. It's so much more than, you know, choosing not to speak. Patience is choosing to allow God to speak to you before you speak to others. It's deciding to use the emotions that God has given you for his glory and for his purposes. So when your spouse offends you or makes you angry, and it's going to happen, how do you typically respond? You know, do you retaliate quickly? Do you have to have the last word? Do you raise your voice? Do you point the finger and the blame? Or do you stay under control? Do you listen before you speak? Do you recognize and own your own faults before pointing out the faults of the other person? I think patience is always good medicine for a healthy marriage. If you want a healthy and godly marriage, friends, in a lot of ways it starts with patience. Patience understands that we're all human, that we're all going to mess up. When a mistake is made, it's choosing to give your spouse more time than they deserve to correct it. So this characteristic of love, this is going to help you hold on during the difficult seasons in your marriage rather than bailing out under the pressure. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 15 says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So what would the tone and the volume in your home be like if you looked for opportunities to be patient? Now, the truth is, very few of us do patience very well, and none of us are naturally patient in our marriage. But godly men and godly women will pursue patience as an essential ingredient in their marriage. So a good starting point for demonstrating the kind of love that God wants you to have in your marriage is by looking for opportunities to be patient with your spouse. So patience is the first characteristic of love that we see. The second characteristic is this. Love is kind. Love is kind. I've shared this with you before, but I wrestled uh, back in junior high and the first year of high school. And uh, in my opinion, I think wrestling is the toughest sport that you can do as a kid. Again, it's just my opinion. (laughs) Not only is the sport itself tough, but everyone who wrestles has to have some level of physical toughness if they're going to succeed. It's safe to say that wrestling doesn't leave a whole lot of room for anything but toughness. There was a kid on the wrestling team who was a grade ahead of me, and his name was Austin Ellis. Austin was a tough kid for sure, but he took a different approach to the sport. Instead of trying to be the center of attention or doing whatever it took to be in the coach's good graces, Austin looked out for the needs of others first. When someone was exhausted from having to run sprints, he would hold back and run alongside them, encouraging them to finish strong. When one of the younger kids was being made fun of, he would find something nice to say about them, and he would do it publicly. When someone needed a friend, he was that friend. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, love is kind? For a lot of people, I think they hear weakness. Maybe that's exactly what you hear, that love is weak. But make no mistake, friends, kindness is not weakness. You know, for our middle school and high school students, Your friends at school might think it's weakness if you don't punch the kid who's making fun of you or if you choose to not make fun of someone else. But in actual fact, it's easy to punch someone in the face. It's easy to make fun of someone else. 
Those things are easy for the adults. You might think that it's weakness if you don't speak up about your political beliefs just to show someone else how wrong they really are. Or if you don't point out how another person's bad life choices got them to where they're at today. But in actual fact, those things are easy. It's easy to tell another person how wrong they are or to point out someone else's bad life choices. What's tough is this. It's tough to be kind. God's word reminds us about the importance of kindness in several places. But one of my favorite passages of scripture that deals with kindness is Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you'll earn a good reputation. So God's word reminds us that kind people find favor wherever they go, especially in the home. When talking about kindness as a characteristic of love, Alistair Begg said that, If you think about all the descriptions that might mark our lives, kindness is something that we could never wear out. He's pointing out the truth that other people will associate certain things with your name. They might say, you know, Bob is smart, Bob is handsome, Bob is strong, but all of these things are going to fade with time. You know, we eventually lose our minds, we lose our smarts, eventually lose the good looks, and our physical strength goes away with, with age, but kindness never fades with time. In fact, there's always a place for a kind student in the school cafeteria. There's always a place for a kind employee at work. There's always a place for a kind spouse at home. One of the most difficult places to demonstrate kindness consistently is in our marriage and in our families. So knowing that God's word places such a high value on kindness, I want to share four ways that you can be intentional about being kind to your spouse. Think of these words as ingredients that make up kindness. The first is this. It's the word helpfulness. Helpfulness. Being kind towards your spouse means looking for opportunities to meet the needs of your spouse in the moment. If it's housework, meet the need. If it's being a listening ear, listen before you speak. This ingredient of kindness reminds us to put the needs of our spouse above our own. The second word, the second ingredient is willingness. Willingness. Kindness should lead us to be agreeable. So instead of digging in your heels on an issue, refusing to listen to the other person's point of view, stay flexible. Instead of complaining or making excuses, look for opportunities to compromise and to accommodate your spouse. Stephen Kendrick rightly said that a kind husband or a kind wife ends thousands of potential arguments by being willing to listen first, rather than demanding his or her own way. So willingness. The third ingredient of kindness is gentleness, gentleness. This is an important ingredient of kindness that can often sound weak, kind of like kindness itself, but it's actually tough. You know, when you're kind to your spouse, you're careful about what you say and do. Instead of being unnecessarily harsh, you're gentle. Even if you need to bring up a difficult topic, if you have to have a crucial conversation, you go the extra mile to make sure that the conversation is as easy to understand, as easy to hear as possible. So this ingredient of kindness blends grace and truth. It's speaking the truth in love. That's gentleness. The fourth and final ingredient that that makes up kindness is initiative. Initiative. So kindness thinks ahead and then takes the first step. It's serving first, forgiving first, and extending grace first. 
This ingredient of kindness doesn't require the other person to get their act together uh, before showing love. When you're kind to your spouse, you take the initiative. You make the first move. I also want to mention that kindness is also a fruit of the Spirit. We see this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit will grow or produce kindness in you. So love is patient and love is kind. These are the first two characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, they're not easy to do. It's hard to be patient. It's tough to be kind. But God's plan for your life is that you would grow in these two pillars of love. Remember, blessing is found when we listen to the word, when we learn the word and live the word. So I want to challenge you to look for opportunities to be patient and opportunities to be kind towards your spouse this week. As we work through this incredible passage of Scripture, we're going to see that all the other characteristics of love are extensions of these first two characteristics. 